when you have eternity within you, and the scriptures talk about that, that God has placed eternity in the hearts of all men, you're no longer living for this earth. You're living for what? Eternity. If you realize that your life is like a flower in the field or the grass in the field, one minute it's there, next minute it's gone, then this time here is mere light affliction, and the suffering of this is temporal in comparison to the weight of the glory set before you. If you've come to Christ and know him, you have what? Eternity in you. Therefore, eternity doesn't begin when you die. Eternity began the moment you got born again. Because you can no longer die. Christ has given you the free gift of eternal life. So if you have eternal life, then you should be living as if you are in heaven. So as I kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, but if the kingdom has come into you, then you should be living as if it had begun now on earth. Because the change of location will not change who you are. How you live here affects eternity. Most people do not think about eternity until they die. But as you get older, you find out that eternity is getting closer to you like a freight train. You don't have the same strength. The years flash by and suddenly you're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. Next minute you're dead. And if you think you're tired now, I want you to get into your 60s and 70s. And then when you hit 80, like my old man, he's just... <laughs> I was just with him. He's 84. He knows it's all over. So are you counting your days? Are you numbering your days? Are you really preparing yourself for eternity? Who do you live for? What do you live for? Where your treasure is is where your heart is, isn't it? I'm a dead man walking. I shouldn't be here. I'm living on borrowed time, aren't I? Are you? Because they no longer I that live. Are you dead yet? <laughs> what do you think the cross is? Death to what? Self. Death to ambition. Death to you, me, I, and everything about it. Selfishness. If you truly have died to you, then maybe the Christ in you may arise. <laughs> Death to sin, isn't it? Now, people receive promises, and the Bible was a great uh, example, was Abraham, the father of faith, wasn't he? By faith, he received the promise. And what did God tell him to do with the promise which he received by faith? Kill it. Now you can name and claim all the promises in the Bible, but are you willing when you get them to literally kill them? Otherwise your heart will be in the promise, not in the person who promised it. You may be sojourning looking for the promised land, but guess what? To get there, you're going to go through the wilderness and testing of your heart. So don't think you can just claim them. <laughs> People say, well, I've got all the promises of God. I'm a prophet. I'm an apostle. I said, you know what? That is an introduction to getting killed. Yeah. <laughs> I said, you want? I said, well, read the lives of these prophets and apostles. I said, I could give you all the prophecies too when I got saved. <laughs> From every man of God out there. You know what that was? An invitation to begin the journey. Many are called, few are chosen. So you may be called 
but the sifting and fire and preparation of God will see whether you actually become a chosen vessel. Can you disqualify yourself from being chosen? You're not sure, are you? Because you don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm sick to death of hearing people talk about their destiny. Because then it's all about you. You have a destiny and calling, but that actually is a corporate one. Anyhow, it's not even in my notes. Not even in my notes. I've got more notes than I know what to do with. The mysteries. How many love mysteries? None of you. Jesus said, I spoke to them in mysteries and parables. Okay? But the disciples, what he did, he pulled them apart and he explained the mysteries. He made them stewards of the mysteries. Now, God often speaks in mysteries and parables and metaphors because those who have ears to hear, hear it, those who don't, just to go straight over them. So that the mysteries of the kingdom will be revealed to you by the Spirit. Okay? One of the mysteries he talks about is the mystery of Israel and the church. So that I want you to become conceited or arrogant in this mystery, lest you in your blindness miss it. But until the fullness of the Gentiles, Israel, we're going to be grafted in. Another mystery is the mystery of wisdom. And it talks about how in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 7 to 11, talks about the mystery of wisdom. Many people have knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, many people seek after knowledge, but never come to being wise. Wisdom comes by mostly doing it all wrong. Then you learn what not to do by doing it all wrong. Then hopefully when you get older, you've figured out what you can do that's right, because you've got wise, but no one wants to listen to you because you're too old. Does that sound right? That's been about 30 years figuring out what not to do by stuffing it completely up. And then when you think you've figured out what you need to do, they say, well, who are you? <laughs> the old thing. Resurrection. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 52, there's a mystery. We shall not all change to stay the same, but we shall be changed. Okay? We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a moment, a twinkle of an eye, the trumpet will sound, the dead will rise, and incorruptible will be changed. It's appointed for man to die, and then comes judgment. But those who know the Lord pass from judgment, what? Into eternal life. The second death has no power over them. <laughs> Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I do not believe in soul sleep. And some of us talking about dead can be actually Christians that are dead and asleep. Wake up, you dead people who are in the light but have actually fallen asleep. You'd be careful how you interpret the scripture, not by, the, not by intellect, by the spirit. The will of God, Ephesians 1, 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Many of you want to know what the will of God is. Thy will be done, not yours. The key to it isn't just savior, it's lordship. And when you truly come to the place of laying your life down, no longer my will, my plans, my purpose is done. I want to see your heart, your will. That's a massive change. It's a massive change. Perfect will of God. How do you hear the will of God? Faith comes by hearing. 
hearing the voice of God. Out of a relationship and intimacy with him, you find that. I found many people uh, uh, worshipping literally the Bible. Doctrine, theology. Jesus said, you search the scriptures, and, and this is in John 5, but you actually fail to come to me who has, has eternal life. So I found when I died, I did not see a Bible standing in heaven. It might shock some of you. I saw a person who's the Word of God made flesh, and I beheld his glory, that his heart and his person was literally transforming me. I found many traditional Christians see Jesus still dead on the cross. Well, the dead Savior hanging on a cross doesn't talk very much. Doesn't have intimate relationship, doesn't build a, a, a thing. He's dead. So when you have dead religion, you keep him still on the cross. You may kiss it, may look at it, you may have it hanging on the wall. But thank God he's no longer on that thing. He died that we may have access into the Holy of Holies and meet him face to face and be changed by his glory. Many evangelicals, even Pentecostals, I find, spend a lot of their time looking at Jesus in the gospel. So they see Christ as a historical figure that walked around 2,000 years ago. So they focus upon the work of Jesus. So they focus upon his healing, his miracles, his teaching. They focus upon Christ on earth. Important, learn his heart, learn what, what, why he was there. But many of them fail to realize that Jesus is no longer dead but is risen. Now, to be changed from glory to glory means you need to see his glory. The glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and mercy. It says that we're going to be changed by his glory, we surely must see it. Now, Moses said, show me your, show me your glory. And what happened when he saw the glory? His entire countenance began to literally change. And an incredible light and radiance upon Moses, such that they put a veil over it. And I think what we find here in the New Testament, Jesus takes them up to see what it's like to pray to the Father. Many theologians make the Mount of Transfiguration a one-off event, but I believe it was a daily event with Jesus. He said, I go and pray and pray to the Father. I meet with him. I only do what I hear the Father say and do what I see him do. So his heart was in connection, our Father, which art in heaven. Moses would go into the Holy of Holies to meet with the, with the Heavenly Father, with God. And the Shekinah, the radiance, the presence, the fullness, here without even the blood of Jesus. Just the blood of goats and lambs. And he still got it. I think, how much more should we, as believers that have free access, to be doing what Jesus did? Jesus, without sin, we are sinners. So without the blood, we can never come into the Holy of Holies. Without repentance, you cannot be applied with grace. Grace is only given to those who repent. And if you think Christians aren't needing to repent anymore, you're in heresy. If you don't think the Holy Spirit's convicting you of sin, then you've got a seared conscience. It says people have missed following this and have actually been shipwrecked in regard to their faith because they've not maintained a pure heart and a clean conscience. This is preaching to believers. When it says, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, some have been what? Entangled in sin, which easily takes out who the believer. It's not talking to non-believers. This is talking to believers. It's called sanctification. I like some of the old preachers. We've somehow gone into heresy with false grace teaching, hyper grace. It's insane. But it says in the last age we'll have false teachers, false prophets, false apostles. Everything's going to go into meltdown, and it's going to lead many, even the elect, away. So grace can only apply through repentance through the blood. 
Otherwise, you have no idea what communion is. Say, search your heart before you take. Least God judges you. Is that true? So are you searching your heart each day as a believer coming and say, God, search my heart. Created me a clean heart. When you and me are right spirit, see if there's any wicked and evil way. This is an Old Testament. This is a man who had a heart after God called David. And if you think you've got David's anointing, you better get his heart. And don't think you're going to get it by someone laying hands on you and transferring their anointing. I'm sick of hearing people looking for my mantle. Guess what? you got your own. Saul came up and tried to grab hold of someone else's mantle, and he lost the kingdom. So if you want the kingdom, you better get your own armor. You better learn how to move in the spirit, and no one else is going to teach you. You aren't going to get that by someone laying hands and prophesying and giving their mantle to you, because that's not in the Bible. Christ himself will anoint you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will clothe you in the full armor of light. And someone else's armor may not fit you. David, who had a heart after God, was given Saul's armor, a kingly armor. He just needed a slingshot. Then he grew into what? David takes out, Saul takes out thousands, and David takes out tens of thousands. Well, that exposed insecurity and fear in those who were leading him. And demonic manifestation came in because jealousy came into Saul's heart. David would then play and anointed. By the end of his life, he was taking down armies. He was carrying a Goliath sword. You grow in your anointing, you grow in your maturity. It doesn't just happen. So do not give leadership to a new convert, but someone who's been tested. If you don't know how to serve and learn and do an apprenticeship, then you've lost it. You better have a school of hard knocks in the church. Otherwise, the danger is we give anointing because of gifting, no maturity, no character, and it's a recipe to blow up. And if you think you are called to be a prophet, guess what? Humble yourself and thank God it may take you 15 to 20 years before you get anywhere near operating in your anointing and gifting. Don't you love me? My wife does. Salvation, the mystery of salvation, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Isn't that a great mystery? How on earth can the, <laughs> the King of glory, by his spirit, enter me and enter millions of other people, simultaneously leading them into the most beautiful relationship, the most deep intimacy? And he's saying, make sure there's no foothold in you. He said, John the Baptist, one of the greatest prophets of the New Testament, he's not an Old Testament prophet. He said, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Lay the axe at the root of every tree that doesn't bear good fruit. Bad trees start with little seeds. You don't just suddenly become a sicko overnight. You planted a seed of rebellion. You planted a seed of morality. You planted a seed of lust. That thing will grow. You can water it and it'll grow and it'll bear fruit. Many people come along and just prune the tree. So they don't obviously see the fruit. How many know anyone who's gardening, pruning a tree, and it's a bad one, doesn't work very well? Because what happens is that that'll grow a bigger, bigger crop next year. The axe is laid where? At the root. This whole teaching on getting to the root, I tell you what, it's a very important thing. Because before someone plants good seed or into a, into a field, and you are God's field, you must first clean the thing up. 
ever worked out and some, breaking some of these blocks in, some of the um, uh, blocks that were given after the war and bring them into farming, they had to go out and de-stump. They had to go out and move up north. They had to move rocks. They had to break it up, break up the fallow ground. The work in preparing the soil was much harder because once the seed was planted, if there were rocks in there or weeds in there and you hadn't harrowed it, you hadn't actually prepared the soil, which is the preparation, you would not get a harvest. So most of the work is God, search me. Work with me. Transform me from the inside out. Prepare me so that literally I can receive your truth. Your word, righteousness and truth and love and peace can truly be formed because they're not smothered out by all the other things, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. Some people say, well, the word of God will not return void. My Bible tells me that there is an entire parable that Christ said, some of the seed, which is the word of God, was thrown by the side of the road. What happened to it? The birds took it. The devil took it. Never went anywhere. That means if your heart's hard, I could preach until the cows come home and nothing's going to happen. You could be listening to the Word of God on a tape all night. You could be speaking it out continually over the airways. It will not change a person's heart. Because until there's an act of repentance in that hardened heart, it will never, ever take root. Then it says some were signed by what? Thorny ground, some amongst stony ground. What happened to that? It grew, bore no fruit, like many Christians. Now you're looking at me, aren't you? Seatfulness and wealth, worries, smothered it out. What does fear do? Fear of being provided for, fear of being looked after, the fear of not getting married, the fear, I mean, I could count them. What does love do? Cast out, fear of death, fear of loneliness. What does fear do? Cripples you. You become absolutely fruitless. You can barely survive. Always got your head just above, just below the water. You know what God wants to do? Get right in here and sort you out. And break your fallow ground up. Root out the filthiest, sickest stuff. Get right back to where it was. And put the axe of the Spirit. There's the sword of the Spirit. But I tell you what, you don't chop roots out with, with swords. You take an axe. It's called a war axe. Chop. If you ever chopped a root out, you know how difficult it is. We used to use a bit of dynamite out on the farm. You'd get in there and stick a bit in there and blow that puppy. That's what the Holy Spirit needs to do with someone. It needs to blow that out. The dunamis power of God. Blow that puppy out. But you had better be willing to be ruthless with sin. Paul said some have actually disregarded this and have been shipwrecked in regard to their faith. Hidden reefs, some of these guys. Doubly rooted up. Not caring in these last days. Reckless lovers. Seared consciences. Leading people who are captive and taking advantage of them. Wolves in sheep's clothing. This is the last days, isn't it? It's in my Bible. Godliness. That's another whole one, isn't it? <laughs> How on earth can we be godly? This is a mystery. It's in 1 Timothy 3.16. Mystery of godliness. What I found when I stood in, in the presence of God, the first thing that touched me was comfort. Most men need comfort because otherwise we get into false comfort. 
Southern Comfort and whatever else is going on. <laughs> it's to numb the pain. See, drinking ain't the problem. It's the issue of what's going on inside here that you're trying to drown your sorrows with. And it takes time before you become an alcoholic. You don't just have that happen. You have to start then binge drinking and move on down the path. The thing grows, doesn't it? You water it and feed it and it gets bigger. The next thing that touched me was peace. Because if a person's not at peace, you know the most secure person is someone's at peace with themselves? Someone who's not peaceful and is so insecure and so fearful actually is a very nervous person. But if Jesus said, peace I give you to, not of this world, and I am the prince of peace, then if you get that, you've actually gone, a, you've taken a rocket step forward. <laughs> peace takes about all the fears, man. What if, and what if this, and what if that? Well, I was confronted. What if I didn't get a job? Well, didn't have any money. Couldn't buy any food. Well, I'd fast. Obviously, see, I haven't been passing too much lately. <laughs> I was when I was young, looking for a wife. Anyhow, <laughs> no humor, have you? So, what? No food. What happens? Well, I said the Bible talked about ravens producing food, manna falling from heaven. So, if that didn't happen, what would I have? I'd die. Well, that's fine. I'm out of here. I'd go home. Every fear was confronted with what? The word of God and truth. What happened to Jesus? He was confronted with all these things. What did he use the word? The word of God. And he had it in him. Peace. (laughs) Now joy. So many sad Christians. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's laughter, it's good medicine. Then the next thing that touched me was love. The greatest is love. So the fruit of the Spirit had come to me as I traveled through this tunnel of light. And as the love touched me, I was absolutely and totally changed forever. Then when God had used what was called the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is the outer courts, which the Jews called the outer courts, preparing the person through how? We can only come in through the blood. I was now standing in the outer courts, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit, the third person, the Trinity, glorifies the Son. So the Shekinah glory, the radiance, was so bright around Christ, it literally you thought you'd come into the center of the universe. The scriptures say that the glory is so bright, it's brighter than the sun. Revelations tells us you will not need the light of the sun, the moon, or the stars, because his glory fills the heavens. The Old Testament prophet said what? As the waters cover the earth, how much water, you know, I mean, covers the, sorry, as the water covers the sea. How many know that sea is water? It's kind of 100%, isn't it? So the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So I'm standing here in this radiant glory that fills the heavens and says, all men fall short of the glory. I walked into that cloud of radiance and instantaneously the presence of God began to heal my broken heart. Because I'd look for love, giving my heart to people that end up in lust and sensuality, sex and passion. Hear what Christ was doing immediately when he spoke the first message. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news, set captives free, and to heal the brokenhearted. He knew exactly what needed to come. Good news to man. Good news. Breaking chains. He who sins becomes a slave to sin. Breaking the chains off. And what was he then doing? 
healing the most broken part of an, a heart of the heart of hearts. If you are not in touch with your heart, the heart reflects the true man. The face reflects man, the face of man. Proverbs says the heart reflects the true man. God looks at the heart. His eyes search across the world looking for a heart that's wholly devoted to him. Why is he looking at the heart? Out of it comes the wellsprings of life. Out of the heart comes what? Love. If the heart is broken, it, the person's finished. Finished. You can, you can, people say, oh, well, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Absolute lies. The Bible says words are life and death in them. Words can kill someone's heart. They can crush. They can demean. They can control. They can put down. They can wound. They can insult. They can manipulate. They can literally destroy a person, and they may never have lifted their finger. It was cut them down. Absolutely devastated that person. When that person has no will to live because their heart has been so cut to bits, what happens? God needs to come in with a miracle. Heal that broken heart. Bind up their wounds. And what is the key to it? Forgiving others. You say, why should I? Well, because if you don't forgive them, you cannot actually receive the healing presence. One of the conditions to you being forgiven is forgiving others. One of the great mysteries is that where we would look for revenge or, or, or justice, God says, guess what? I want you to forgive them. By forgiving them, you're not saying what they did was right. What you're actually doing is acknowledging the fact that you have been wounded, you have been hurt, you have an offense, you have anger, you have bitterness and hatred, but you are going to literally lay that down and give it to God by choice. As you do that, what does he then say? Now I can come in and heal your broken heart. When I grew up, we used to have this black stuff called drawing ointment. <laughs> Remember that black tar? Some of you are old enough? No, you're not. Grandma's remedy. It would draw and suck the poison out. Forgiving others doesn't say what they did was right. What they did was absolutely diametrically wrong. And they will be judged for it. But if you hold, the, hold them in bondage through your unforgiveness and bitterness, those people can never get, I mean, they're going to have great difficulty being free. You are the one who've been offended. You're the one that can be free by forgiving. Then the healing presence of God comes and he heals my broken heart. As I walked in closer, I watched the veils part, and standing before me was Jesus glorified, radiant white hair, face shining like the sun. All the light of heaven was shining out of his countenance. I knew that he was truly God in human form. When I saw that, I was looking into eternity within eternity in his face. I had no doubt that this was God, but I was not prepared to understand this to be Jesus because no one had told me that his hair is white like wool, like snow. His face shines like the sun in full strength. And, and that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. My Jesus was an old hippie who was in Jesus Christ superstar or was hanging dead on a cross. I'm now looking at someone that John the Apostle said, I saw him. What? One like the Son of Man. But what was he? Son of God. In who he was before he came to earth. Daniel saw him. One, the Ancient of Days, was sitting upon a throne of fire. One, one like the Son came before him, presented on a cloud. To him was given dominion and, and, and authority to rule the nations. His kingdom will have no end. Who we have is Jesus presented in Daniel 7 before the Ancient of Days. His vesture is white. Like, well, like snow, his entire countenance is on fire. There is a river of fire coming beneath its throne. There is wheels of fire. God is an all-consuming fire. 
Jesus' eyes are a flame of fire, which is the windows of your soul, which means Jesus' soul is on fire. I'm an all-consuming fire. I'm a refining fire. I'm a purifying fire. Why would Christians need to look at this? Burn up the dross. Cleanse me, Lord. Baptize me in the Holy Spirit and fire. Purify my heart, isn't it? You know why Satan hates the fire? In Ezekiel 28:18, God took fire from the midst of his angelic body and turned it to ash and cast his spirit body to earth. He took Lucifer's angelic body, which was his splendor, his beauty, who he had trusted in. He'd become conceited. He'd become so powerful. I'll lift my throne, Isaiah said, above the most high God. And God looked at him and saw the body which God had created and formed, not in the form of man, but was literally an angelic being with such beauty and radiance. God looked at that angelic body and took fire in the midst of his body. (laughs) That'll blow a lot of Nephilim teaching out the window too. Just thought I'd drop that one in. You think angels that was 300 cubits high, 900 meters came and had sex with human beings on planet Earth in Genesis 6? You're in another planet. Don't you dare start looking at the book of Enoch. There's enough in that Bible to keep you going for eternity. Now you've gone really quiet. (laughs) If you think there are half human and half demons walking around the planet, my Bible tells me sin entered the world through one man in the garden. Otherwise, we're going to have another one, woman deceived by angelic beings that look like men. If you think they can reproduce between each other, I don't see any angel babies or female angels in the Bible. We're going to be married, what? On earth, in heaven there's going to be none. Why? We're going to be like angels. Seed reproduces after its own kind. Just a few thoughts. I'm going to get on to that. So I step into the radiance, step into the glory, and which is called the Holy of Holies. Who's there? What is imparted out of his face? Light. That light that touched me gave off purity. (laughs) The next thing gave off was holiness. Two very abstract words that most human beings have forgotten about or can't remember ever being. Pure and holy. If Jesus is coming back for a pure, holy bride, is that what it says? How can we as a church be prepared for that? We must individually learn how to enter what? Not church and listen to the preacher. Enter into what? The manifest presence of the King of glory and see him face to face. People think, I'll do that when I die. No, 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 no. Was John the Apostle dead when this happened? Was he alive or dead? He was alive. Had he suffered? What happened to him? In the spirit, God caught him up. What did this young man see? Having been tried to have been roasted in oil in Ephesus, they couldn't kill him. He was such a danger. He had so much love. He had so much anointing that people looked at him. They just couldn't kill the guy. But they tried. Some Christians don't want any persecution. My Bible says that neither life nor death, principality or power, persecution, tribulation can separate me from the love of God. If you think tribulation and persecution is not of God, then you better read your Bible again. If you think you're going to get beamed out here before it all hits, read Matthew 24, that after the tribulation, the elect are gathered from the four corners of the earth. 
I'm getting too old to worry what you think. Though they slay me, (laughs) so what? Though they persecute me, the disciples actually rejoiced in that. They said, we even considered worthy to be persecuted, imprisoned, beaten, shipwrecked, hated. Do you realize if you're an apostle, the Bible says they're the foundation foundation of the church. What do foundations have most people walk on? The prophets, the blood of the prophets all over the church, the foundations in Ephesians tells us what? The apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. People said, oh, it's just me and Jesus. I don't want to have anything to do with the church. Forget that. I've been there and done that. Me and Jesus, we're two agree of prayer. That's the church. You heard that one? You know what's that? You and your rock, Christ, the cornerstone of the church. But he said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. He called it a body, a building, and a bride. A body actually has different parts of it. And if different parts of the body are missing, guess what? You don't have a church. He said the hand can't do without the foot. The eye can't do without the, the, what, the heart. You can't do without it. So therefore, if the eyes represent the prophet, the seers, the mind represents the teacher, the heart represents the pastor, the feet, how blessed are those who bring good news. And the apostle connects it through the nervous system so that each part is actually working together as one. What happens if you say, well, I don't need you? You don't have a body. You have an autopsy table scattered around. (laughs) And he said, first apostles. So that's not positional. If you think the apostles are first, then you've got another thing coming. He's the least. The first shall be the greatest. What? Servant. If you think apostles and prophets are above pastors, teachers, and evangelists, you're in another planet. Jesus is the apostle, prophet, pastor, and teacher, and evangelist. Do you think he's heavenly minded? He's seated in heaven, so I hope he is. (laughs) So if you think the pastor, teacher, and evangelist aren't heavenly minded, you've got another thing coming. I've met teachers who literally, if you think signs and wonders and miracles are the only way that you can confirm a person's anointing and calling on this earth, you've got, again, to see, because it's not the power... Because I've met pastors who are so heavenly minded that when they minister to you, the Father, heart of God, you are undone. I've had teachers bring the word of God and the missions of the word of God. So you just stand there and go, how on earth did he bring that? I've been reading the Bible for 30 years. And an evangelist, seeing the fields for harvest, he speaks. So you don't even know what he preached, but they all come up and get saved. And if you elevate the apostles and prophets above all of that, you've completely missed the understanding of the heart of God. You know who the head of the church is? Not the apostle. He's not the new kid on the block. It's Christ. People say, I've got a team. Well, don't you be the captain. Let Christ be the captain. Let the Holy Spirit be the vice captain. Let us all in humanity be part, working together. Then your own gifting and anointing is that if I am not working with the other fivefold, I am literally isolated from the body. I'm cut off from it. Then you don't have unity. Unity is in diversity. If you have one gifting, oh, we're the school of the prophets. You have uniformity. Oh, no, we're the school of the evangelist. You have uniformity. No, we're the school of the teachers running Bible schools. You have uniformity. 
The poor sheep have to go around all these different camps trying to find how to be looked after and fed. Oh, man, I got saved by that evangelist, but he couldn't teach me, so I went over to this church. Then I got sick of that for a while, and I wanted to open heaven, so I went over to the prophets. Then they were casting every demon out of me. I was wondering whether I even knew what I was doing, so I went over here and <laughs> hid back in some Baptist church that they didn't do any of that stuff because they seemed quite normal. <laughs> How many have been on the journey? <laughs> I said, what's the problem? He said, not the body, it's the actual leaders. He said, I'm looking at a new wineskin. People said, I want the new wine and anointing. How many have seen the new wine and anointing blow churches up, blow existing structures up, and blow wineskins up? You focus on signs, wonders, and miracles. I tell you what, Jesus said, they're going to pass away. Love is the greatest. If you think you're going to wait for a teacher, a pastor to move in signs, wonders, and miracles and say he's not more important than you because you do, you're arrogant and you're full of it. Some of you have been listening to this stuff. Turn some of those podcasts off and save your money. In fact, even charge for its insanity. Oh, I almost got the five off. I see. How much time have we got? Two minutes? Three days. <laughs> God's building his body, building, was it bride? Building and body. These are the three pictures we see very clearly in the, in the body of Christ. So you and Jesus are standing on the cornerstone. Any builders here? None. We've got one builder. What do the rest of you do? <laughs> Buy houses off them. <laughs> you hope. <laughs> if Christ is the cornerstone, how many builders know that ain't a building? That's why God's trying to get you back to first love, isn't he? Next thing is you put down what's called a bottom plate or a pad. You put down floating pad up around the mount because it's all sand's going to do that. And so here we go. We put it down. This is the apostles and prophets. Is that true? Have we got a building yet? What does the next do? They put the bottom plate and frame it. Who's that? Teacher. Then you put a roof on it. That's the pastor. And by now you've each got pastor teaching, of, you know, in here, an apostle. What's the next thing you bring in? The evangelist. You board it up. And then you take the Romans 12, the ministry of hospitalities, helps and mercy and compassion, which should be working in the church, but they got sick of these guys. So they set up world vision, feed the hungry, and own orphanages. <laughs> so don't you dare come and evangelize us because you're upsetting us. You have uniformity. That's supposed to turn the thing from a house into a home. If you don't have hospitality, administration, evangelism, you get the guy saved and what ends up happening, he's going to disciple them. Well, you need someone who can teach them. You need someone who can pass them. You need someone who can cast the demons out of them. How, what if they're not there? You know what they're going to do? They're going to go and look for someone who does it outside the church, but we're, we're not competing with the church. We're just helping them. We don't like the church because they booted us out, but we're actually out there. So we form deliverance ministries, we form prophetic ministries, we form prayer ministries, we form, where's that supposed to be? 
Oh, well, they don't like me. They don't like my ministry. Well, guess what? They didn't like Paul the Apostle. They didn't like Moses. They didn't like Joseph. In fact, those guys had to go through being killed before they learned the lesson that when they died to themselves, then they could be brought back into the house. Because if you are a leader and haven't been broken and walked with a limp, I don't trust you. If you haven't been killed by another Christian leader and gone and done the apprenticeship under a pharaoh or under a Saul, I don't trust you. I think you're still in yourself. You haven't even gone through the testings and preparation. If you don't love the church as Christ loved it, who spat at him, who denied him, who cursed him, even his disciples, even the ones that he was trying to teach and bring up as young Timothys and young men of God, if you haven't got that, you are going to go nowhere. You will end up in a parachurch group and you'll be there throwing stones back at the church and saying, well, I only did what we did. And you'll have everyone agreeing with you because you're all birds of feather flocking together. And then you reproduce after your own kind. Oh, well, we're going off to the mission field. So what are you doing? Oh, we're starting Bible schools. I thought, that's fascinating. Where's the church? Oh, well, we're going to train up pastors to be the church. I said, are you part of a church? Well, actually, I run a Bible school on the principal. Oh, no, we're evangelists. We're going to go out there and do school evangelism. We're going to do crusades. We're going to get thousands saved. Teachers telling us only about 1% of them ever come through. Prophet said, no, no, we're not doing that. We're pulling down the strongholds. We're doing spiritual warfare, taking on principalities and powers and pulling that down so we can open up the heavens and dig the wells. <laughs> Sound familiar? No, we're going to be a prayer house. We're just going to pray and literally seek God and worship him 24-7. Because we read that about the Moravians. We meet in the Moravian church, Cowan's Golf Church in London. Peter Lane that prayed for the last revival. You know what they were? They were a church. You know all the people in the Moravians? Every one of them had a job on an estate. And they managed to work a 24-7 prayer for 100 years, all of them working. That's a worry, isn't it? Holding down a normal job. Not paying for someone to give them a prayer shawl. I could be a grumpy old man, couldn't I? <laughs> I think some people haven't got the, to even say some of this stuff. It's like the emperor's got no clothes on and no one's bothered telling them. You need to get a bit of Australian blood in you. The body, the building, the bride. I said, what does the church look like right now? I saw a roof on the ground... People crawling underneath it. He said, well, that's, the, that's people trying to come under a one-man ministry of a pastor to come under his covering. I saw a man standing on a rock with 200 people in an open field preaching his heart. I said, what's that? He said, that's an evangelist having an open air. Then I saw a house with windows and walls and roof and door. People going into it. I said, can I go into the vision? He said, yes. So I went into the vision Inside this building with people worshipping God, I lifted my hands up to worship, and God said, don't look up, look down. I said, what? He said, look down. I looked down and saw dirt on the floor. He said, what's missing in this house? I said, on the outside, it looks like a real house. But as you look at it, there's no foundations. He said, what do they represent? I said, well, there's no apostolic or prophetic people here. He said, look closer. 
I could see the cornerstone. The boy out there preaching in the open air had Christ as his ministry. The guy with the roof on the ground had a cornerstone just keeping it up off the, off the ground. Here they had a cornerstone with what? Pastor, teacher, and evangelist, three of the fivefold. A good, nice, comfortable family community church, not going into the supernatural, not going into changing the world, pastor, teacher, evangelist. And we've seen some of those. I said, what, what's happening, God? He said, I want you to go to a master builder in your church, ask him what he would do if he found a building with no foundations. <laughs> he said, well, son, some cowboy builders will tell you they can fix it by jacking it up on hydraulic ramps and repiling. He said, people get killed. The whole thing goes out of kilter, all the windows, all the doors, the frames. He said, you know what my suggestion to you, son? Don't buy it. I said, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> He said, the only thing you really do is whack that thing down, take what beams and joists you can and window frames if you feel like mucking around, pulling, flipping nails out, and then start again from scratch. The value of that building is worth nothing. It's land value only. You need to start and do it properly. The Lord said to me, how many ministries do you think that leaders are willing to knock down their ministry and start again with Christ the cornerstone, the first love, and then turn around and actually get apostles and prophets working together instead of creating their own little ministries, and then trying to get pastors and teachers and evangelists to actually work together, and that's another massive mystery. Is Jesus in unity with himself? Does Jesus have unity with who he is? Can he live with himself? What's the problem? The prophet's doing this, poking the eye. The evangelist's doing this, upsetting them. The ring finger of the pastor's doing that. The teacher's prodding him like this with his little pinky. You know what the hand will do if the apostle actually tries to get these people to work together? There's no authority left. Unity is in diversity, isn't it? If the apostle rules them and becomes the new kid on the block as the young boy with all the, all the bells and whistles, do you know what's going to happen to the others? Club hand. He gives all the responsibility, no authority. You only have them one papa in the house when the apostle turns in, they will call him papa. The Bible says there's one papa in heaven. His name's God the Father. You need to be reparented to him. People said, give me your sons and daughters. I said, woo, 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 woo. They're not my sons and daughters. I'm to make them sons and daughters of the Most High God. My job is a spirit of adoption to father them back to him so that they are no longer a spirit of rejection and abandonment. If I father them to me, they become my spiritual children. Then they become mine. They become my sons and daughters. You know, I've got sons and daughters and they're actually mine. I birthed them with my wife. People say, give me your seed. My Bible says to Abraham, the seed of the sons and daughters. Be very careful. People have mucked up their own families and now trying to look after someone else's children. And if you don't get them literally father to the father of light and dependent upon him, they'll be looking to you to be their spiritual father or spiritual mother. Our job is to literally, when they get born as children, yeah, we've got to help feed them as a baby, get them to stand on their own two feet, but their job is not for them to be dependent upon us, but to grow up and become dependent upon him. If they are my children, then I'll own them. Whose children are you? 
Are you going to be reliant just sucking on milk, or are you actually going to grow up and take some maturity? Do you know we're in last days? Do you realize he's coming on a white horse, and all hell's about to break loose? If you think Matthew 24 is being fulfilled, you'll be shocked when it all kicks off. It's going to be about to kick off. Sons of what? Hagar. Sons of Sarah. Ishmael and Isaac. Cousins from the sin of Abraham are about to kick off. This is the final battle. Ones who are willing to die and ones who aren't willing to die. Guess which group is willing to die? Sons of Isaac or the sons of Ishmael? And I'm not politically correct again. But if you haven't seen anything that's coming, it's coming. Not to put fear, it just means it's getting closer to get out of here. <laughs> Bring it on. I'm in London. <laughs> Ephesians 5.31. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and they shall be joined together and be husband and wife. The two shall become one. This is a great mystery. What? The Bible talks about mysteries, but they say there's a great mystery. This is one that many people don't get. We've got the building, we've got the body, but the great mystery is what? The bride. In Genesis, out of three, God made one. Out of one, he literally formed two. (laughs) And then he said the two shall become one, and then the one would come back to the three. Isn't that quite an interesting mystery? So here in the garden is what? A marriage. Here in Revelations we have what? It's just before God's coming on the white horse, the marriage, isn't it? Marriage supper. First miracle that Jesus did was where? Wedding in Canaan. This is the beginning of his signs and wonders. Did he raise the dead first? You think, oh my gosh, he could have. He could have got Lazarus first. What did he do? He turns water into wine. Why? <laughs> He wants to turn your wineskin into a whole new wineskin. He wants to get the living waters flowing out which come out of your heart. He wants to grab hold of your heart for intimacy and first love. If you don't understand first love, you'll be captivated by signs, wonders, and miracles. I've seen more signs, wonders, and miracles than most of you most of you in this room put together. And that's not to be arrogant. That's just just fact. I've done 33 years of it. I've seen people chase signs, wonders, and miracles and blow up. I've had people go on to open heaven, being caught up into the third heaven, and then they start out doing each other on which, how many eyes they saw or how many rooms they went into or how much gold dust they're holding on to. And I've had oil coming out of people's hands. I've had them covered in gold dust. I've seen diamonds appear on the floor. But you know, without a heart change, it's just not going to keep you. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen demons leave people. I've seen deaf ears open. I've seen dead come back to life in front of me. And you know what happens without a change in heart? The ones that have been blind, that had their eyes open, walk away. How many lepers were healed? How many came back? If you think signs, wonders, and miracles are going to keep people, you're on another thing coming. The greatest is... So he said the marriage is the greatest mystery of the church. Isn't it? The two shall become one. How many know that's a great mystery? Any men married here or wondering about it or wondering why they are? (laughs) Any woman considering that one too? God said, you look after your marriage, I look after the church. Isn't that an interesting thing? 
Why don't we go and take two complete opposites and put them together and then say become one? Because he's a masochist. He loves pain. <laughs> Mate, I got married and I thought, what on earth have I done? I had quite a nice life until that happened. Me and Jesus. Paul said it was easier. <laughs> How many women have wondered why you did it? I know he's sitting right next to you. Husbands helping the hands go up. It's not an older call, this is just the fact. How many men how many men have wondered about it once or twice? The ones in the back who are hiding? <laughs> Why would God do that? Pain is gain. <laughs> I said, God, what is it all about? He said, it's all about your heart. He said, guess what, son? I love you. Hosea was told to marry what? A prostitute and lover. Oh, my dear Lord. Why? Because he's learning how to love, wasn't he? What did God get when he married you? Why would I give you my... How many have had a honeymoon when you get saved with Jesus? How many know that can last a shorter time than you hoped? (laughs) (laughs) How many know then the rubber meets the road after that and he brings you down, oh my gosh, there's other issues here? (laughs) Not really. You must have someone else. (laughs) I just want to get taken into paradise here and stay there. How many know love always forgives, love always believes, love always trusts, love always... How many, how many had that read when you got married? <laughs> how many have dropped a few of those off the contract? <laughs> so God is desperately trying to do what? Get the two to become one. I got married within six months. I was ready to... Now, fortunately, I knew God and had experience with him before that. I said, God, what, what's wrong? He said, you have a divided heart. I said, what? Can't be. I'm preaching. I'm in full time. I made everything that moves. I'm trying to get saved. How can I have a divided heart? He said, let me show you your heart. In an instant, I saw a, an earthen vessel. My mate used to make stoneware pottery with cork taps. He used to use them for wine. Of course, none of you drink, so you won't know one of those are. And had instead of one tap there, there were five. I watched liquid and wine pouring into this vessel and pouring straight through it. I said, what's that? He said, that's your heart. He said, my presence comes into you, and it literally goes through you like a funnel. Do you feel like you've been sucked dry? I said, yes. He said, I've never called you to be a funnel. I said, then what do the taps represent? He said, things and people you've given your heart to. I said, what's the first tap? He said, your wife. He said, the world tells you if you love someone, you give them your heart. He said, but you learn not to put all your eggs in one basket. So you gave part of your heart to your wife. He said, how's that been? I said, I've been considering bringing it back. He said, did your wife give her heart to you? I said, yes. What's she considering? 
going back to her mother. <laughs> when I told her she was like mother, like daughter, it got quite close. It's a learning curve, boys. I said, it's in the Bible. <laughs> I said, when I go to your mother's place, I no longer have you as a wife. You become the daughter again. I'm an outsider. And then we go back out into the car and steam it up. I said, I'd like to take you as far away from her as possible. I mean, a rubber band doesn't take a long time to break, you know. <laughs> so anyhow, I'm sitting there looking at this, and he said, Ian, what's it like? I said, well, that's been fairly difficult, giving my heart to my wife, and she's given her heart to me. We're needing time out here. I said, what's the next one? He said, that's your mother. He said, your wife didn't just marry you. She got your mother too. ho. <laughs> You think you got her mother, you, you, she got your mother. She said, you respect your mother, you honor your mother, you love your mother because she prayed you into the kingdom. Your mother is in New Zealand, you're in Canada being married. How does it feel right now? <coughs> you want to go back to those who love and you trust and have got some time with you. He said, you have part of your heart still in your mother's hands. I said, what's the next one? He said, the church. He said, you love the church. He said, how's that been? I said, that's been fairly painful. <laughs> Sheep have teeth. <laughs> he said, you're a lifeguard. I said, that's right. He said, what do some of these people try and do to you? They try and drown you. Oh, you've seen heaven. Pray for me, minister me, set me free, sort it all out. And sometimes you don't have anything and they've climbed on top. You nearly drowned you. I said, I feel like that. I've been sucked dry. I said, what's the next one? He said, evangelism. He said, you love evangelism because you're out there in the clubs and basically sinning away. No one ever went and preached to you, so your heart's to go and preach to them. He said, what's that like? I said, I love that. These have got more of a receptive audience. They're complete pagans, demonized, and actually might listen to me. Christians are too busy thumbing through their theology and haven't even sorted that out. I said, what's the next one? He said, sport. <laughs> Fishing, rugby, surfing, diving, golf, and then he just dropped them off. I mean, I just went, whoa, slow down, slow down, <laughs> slow down. He said, that's your escape from wife, mother, church, and the lost. I said, what do women do? He said, children, emotional relationships, and they put their heart in their kids. And when they go, they're in real trouble. I said, God, this is a fairly serious situation. He said, how much of your heart do you think I have? Well, I said, before I was saved with sex, drugs, rock and roll, none. <laughs> now I've got my wife, my mum, the church, the lost, and my sport. What's wrong with that? That's not sinful. He said, how much of your heart do you think I have? I said, realistically, mostly about 10%. He said, what are you supposed to have done? I said, when I first got saved and it was the first love, I gave you all. He said, what changed? I said, well, I took it back and gave it to these things. He said, how's that been? I said, quite painful. He said, how much is all? I said, well, some would say 100%. <laughs> By this stage, I was getting more and more worried about what he was going <laughs> to. 
He said, then, if you're going to love me with 100% of your heart, where your treasure is, where your heart is, where is your heart right now? Where should it be? I said, then how can I love someone if I don't give them my heart? He said, let me show you. Instantly, new vessel appeared. No taps. And in the old one, I saw cracks in it. It's where people had smashed into it and tried to take what I had without even asking. And it actually damaged my vessel. And I didn't even ask for it. I bam into you. Okay? This minute, no cracks, no taps. I watched liquid pouring into this vessel and beginning to fill it up. As I watched this vessel begin to fill up, I watched it begin to overflow. As I watched it, the Lord said, Give unto God, and he'll give unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He said, I'm not talking about money. I said, well, that's all ever here. The, op- the op- preacher's trying to do is get an overflowing offering, right? He said, yeah, and I'm not interested in money, because if I get your whole heart, I've got the whole lot. He said, I actually want your love. I want your heart. If you truly love me, and you're truly going to be the bride of Christ, and I'm your husband, and we're going to be one beyond any human relationship, beyond anything you've ever known on earth, in eternal love. But I just want your heart, son. You gave it to me when you got saved, but you've moved far away from that. It's no longer first love in your heart. I said, well, then, God, I'm deeply sorry for the idolatry that I've done towards my mum. I'm deeply sorry for how I've actually given my heart fully to wife and church and ministry. And I give the whole lot back to you. I take it back. Forgive me. Set me free. Next minute, he, next minute, as he showed me that, he said, when you give, you get overflowing presents. Next minute, I saw other vessels appear all around me. He said, out of your innermost bench shall flow rivers of living water. Remember the champagne glasses? He said, I'm going to help fill, and I could see it was my mum, my dad, my wife, my mother-in-law. I mean, love that was way beyond my human trickle that was coming through my five taps. I'm suddenly got living water filling me. I'm absolutely satisfied back in my first love. I'm overflowed with the presence of God. I don't feel like someone's going to suck me dry or I'm getting to come to church so I can look after all the in-laws, the outlaws, my mates, the neighbors and save them. It's all dependent upon me. All of those weights. He said, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. Cast your cares upon me. Give me your heart. Stick with the first love. I will fill you up. And anyone who comes in contact will get overflow. If they don't, then you better seek my face and go into the secret place and you better get yourself filled up before you even get out here and talk. Overflowing. Rivers of living water. Not pointing them towards me, otherwise they become dependent upon me to drink off me. They become dependent upon him who is the source of life. Give your heart to Jesus. Let him heal you up. Let him make your vessel that's broken and smashed on the potter's wheel. Let him rebuild the walls. Let him put his hand in there. Let him put you in the, fu- in the furnace and the fire so you don't just become a sloppy mess of clay and go through the high fire so that you're a vessel that can hold the presence of God. Because if there's impurity in the clay as he rebuilds you, it will blow up in the furnace. And I see a lot of people who hide sins inside their clay vessel and look wonderful, but when the furnace and fire comes, they explode. But thank God, God takes broken, smashed vessels out of the potter's field, takes a big stone because he is the rock of our silver, and he crushes it back into dust and drops it back into the big pods of healing oil and water so you can soak again and then he can try and rebuild you. He takes broken vessels, smashed vessels, people are blown up and failed, and he rebuilds you again. And the greatest mystery is what? Love. 
What is the greatest test of love? Marriage. <laughs> Do I see a hand? <laughs> None of you. If the greatest test to love is what? Marriage. Why is the mystery so great? Why has the enemy then come in and destroyed even the understanding of a man and woman becoming one? Not only have they broken all the commandments, but we're in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, the days of Lot, where all of the Sodomy and Gomorrah will take place because it will now destroy the fabric of the entire understanding of marriage. You cannot legislate and stop it. But you can certainly make a stance, otherwise your lampstand might be removed. If you think that we're going to take the seven mountains and sort out education, politics, Hollywood, government, and all the things you think, and you think those seven mountains are going to be taken back before Christ returns, don't hold your breath. So I then did that. I came to my wife. She looked at me. She said, my God, what's happened? She could feel that I'd taken my heart back from her. She thought, oh, my dear Lord, this guy's going to leave me. You know what happened? I had love for her. I tried to share what just happened. I got back to the presence of God. I said, I'm not leaving you. I tried to tell her. I was praying with another couple. She got it. She said, God, show me I've given my heart to you, to my mother, and to spiritual mothers in the church. And my mother has given her heart to all her children, and her children become the meaning and purpose of life. Even though we're physically left, we're not spiritually left, and I can feel like we're like siphon hoses sucking off each other. And no matter how far away I go from it, I cannot. And then Jesus said, I brought a sword to cut between the soul and the spirit. We may leave physically, but we've not left emotionally and spiritually. And you can do all the soul tie cutting, but guess what? If you haven't worked it in your heart, they're just another recipe. will not work again. It's another ritual. You go through this program, cut all the soul ties, and it still will not work because until you have revelation in your heart, who has your heart, you have missed the entire understanding. So many people are going for recipes. If you only pray this prayer, you will be sorted out. No, you need to repent. You need to forgive. You need to have heart revelation of it. You can read all the right prayers. Oh, Father, forgive all those who have cursed me and blah, 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 and break every curse and generation down, blah. You know what? None of that will work until it's in your heart. Oh, I've done my time already. One thing's in three days. The others are leaving, so. <laughs> I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. I have espoused you as one husband that I may present you chaste virgin to Christ, Paul said. You know why some of these marriages never worked? Jezebel, Ahab. Who ruled the marriage there? Who did God hold accountable for the marriage? Jezebel or Ahab? Ahab, you have committed the sin of Jeroboam. Ahab abdicated his rule and said, Oh, will you be the spiritual giant here, dear? You figure it all out. I'm just going to provide for you. What happens then when the children children get so many in the family, then some of the older girls start taking the role of the mother. Then other sisters and children become mothered to one of the older daughters, and they treat them like a child all the, all the time. Then when they get married, they, if, the marriage is, if the husband and wife's relationship's not there and it's just all lip service and they've cohabited, those kids, guess where the heart is? Husband gets more involved in business, providing, more and more building his empire and whatever, and his toys. Here goes the wife off in the emotional child grandchildren. If there's favoritism within the marriage, 
which there will be because if the marriage is broken, oh, that boy reminds me of you. <laughs> that girl's listening to me. She can, she can make it. And if that boy listened to me, look what you could be, husband, if you actually listened to me. Yeah, anyone hearing me? And this goes down to the next generation. Then you have all the marriages broken up because when things are going wrong, the mother doesn't even have to be there. She can feel what's happening. And unfortunately, she could be trying to rescue the child but actually breaking the marriage rather than working through the relationship. Because she hasn't worked through hers. Why would she get her to... You can only lead someone to the point you've been. And when you have a nest of insecurity, fear, control, who has your heart and the heart's based upon what you can get from the other person, then you'll be drinking off them, you'll be living off them, you'll be depending from it. If they do not meet your needs, you'll be disappointed, devastated by it, and think if I only got a new one, it would work better. <laughs> and so after three or four tries, you figure out, oh, that's the same bro bro broken pattern. And by then you've got a massive relationship, so a whole stack of different children from different guys, and you don't know where the heck you are. Does this sound even normal to some of you? We can put the veneer of shalama, shalama, and we can do all this stuff, mate. We don't have love. You can pray in tongues, prophesy, heal, raise the dead. Without love, you're a clanging gong. And where the love's going to be tested is where? Right in your most intimate, closest relationship. How many know we've got some work to do? How many think, if only my wife heard this, she'd be sorted? <laughs> do you realize you've just made the fatal mistake? You've looked for the, the, the log and the, the speck in someone else's eye. Who's got a dirty gray big four by two sticking out of yours? And who might grab that and actually use it on you? And you're thinking, if only my husband can hear this, we could get sorted. You know what God says? If only you could hear it yourself, you might be sorted enough to actually even continue on. One thing you find out in marriage, you can't change them. And the more you do, the worse it gets. Leave them alone. Husbands, love your wife. Wives will then actually maybe respect you. Husbands, get your heart sorted because out of your heart will come... If we have the foundational building blocks of family and marriage sorted, how many know the church might look a little bit more loving and a little bit more real? We can get caught in signs, wonders, and miracles and miss the simplicity of the devotion of pure love. We won't even have a fivefold operator. You know why? Because they haven't even got oneness in their marriage. So therefore, someone's going to manipulate and control the fivefold, and it's going to blow to bits. And if your whole purpose is your ministry, your gifting and calling, that will become what you live for. That's where your heart will be. If someone tries to take a person's ministry away, you watch them try and kill you. They'll be like their child. Oh, I think you need to step down from the worship team just now. I think you need to sort some of the issues out. <laughs> I'm going to another church. They need my gifting. They can appreciate it. God's called me. I've got it. And I say, have you heard of a dropkick? Anyhow, I'm not that nasty, but sometimes I feel like it. There's the old Jerusalem, Ezekiel, then there's a the new Jerusalem. God is looking for a virgin bride. 
He's looking for a relationship where the man isn't doing a Jonathan David. You realize that David and Jonathan come close, so close that David lost his marriage. Remember that? I've seen women have close relationships with each other and they've lost their marriage. You know who should be the closest, most intimate, most clear and most transparent in their relationship? The person that you're married to. They should know your secrets. They should know your strengths. They should know your weaknesses. They should know the whole lot. And if you haven't had the guts to tell her, pray and fast (laughs) that God will prepare her to hear who you really are. And make sure you take Greg along just in case. (laughs) No, I'm just joking. He'll hold your hand and run. Do you realize that coppers won't go into domestics? They are more frightened of domestics than they are of anything else. I wonder why. To, to conquer a woman who's angry is like taking a fortified city. They may look sweet and calm and gentle, but their faces can contort. <laughs> now, all the, all the young ones that are actually thinking, I'm never going to get married... And you've been wanting and praying for that for the last five years and pleading with the pastor that some real men might come into the church to actually find you. It's called desperately seeking marriage. Seek the one that loves you and will be eternal and will never leave you, never forsake you, never break you, heal your heart, comfort you. And I tell you what, you get that one sorted out and you're going to have men and women of God. You want a man who's done that. You don't want some guy that... And you are dumb and dumber when you go dating the non-Christians, I'm telling you. You think you're going to bring that boy through? My gosh, you become the children of God. You become a cult. They used to sleep with them to get them in. Don't you dare go there. Don't you dare go there. It's all about the kickoff anyhow. Get someone who loves God. You know, in a pew city, you don't want someone just sitting there sucking on eggs and saying, I'm coming because the Bible says I could not forsake the dwelling together of people. So I'm, he's taking too long. You want someone who could go for hours and hours. You just don't want to leave the house of the Lord. You don't want to not be in fellowship. You do not want to be. You have to walk through forgiveness of others, forgiveness of pastors, forgiveness of leaders, forgiveness of false prophets, forgiveness of people who ripped you off and scammed you. You've got to forgive them. And then come and say, Lord, make me one with you. Make me one with my wife. Make me one with my kids. And then God first, marriage second, family. Then let's have a look at the church, the the body. Then let's have a look at the lost. Let's see if we can get a body which actually is a house of love. Not just go and shake hands and say, oh, it's nice to see you. But you don't even know them. Love God with all your heart and love one another. If you don't have a real relationship in these last days, you'll have hirelings, you will flee, and everyone will run to their own house and won't care for anybody else. If you want to be generous, be generous in your heart to God in that you will get his heart. He loves the world, and he knows that you need each other. If you think you can do it without each other, then you're in serious trouble. You're independent, you're full of idolatry, and it's very common within the church, and it's selfish. Let's pray. Father, thank you very much for an ability to talk to Wellington folks and to talk to the rock. I pray that this church will come back to its true foundations called the rock of all our salvation, Christ, the rock. And sometimes we have to dig up foundations in order to get back to the simplicity of first love. And people sometimes don't like that, Lord, when you jack the house up and begin to repile it and bring back intimacy and truth in the spirit of God. Some people don't like it. 
because that's what they paid for to, to join. So, Lord, I pray for those whose foundations have been shaken, those who are struggling with these issues in their own heart, struggling in relationships, struggling in marriage, struggling even in knowing you as a first love. I pray they'll come back and say, I will give it another crack. I will literally try and find the solution. I know my problem. Help me to become connected with you so I can be an overflowing vessel full of the love, full of 